most things, there are two opposite extremes when it comes to good works. There are those who would rest upon their good works as if they somehow can earn or add to their salvation from sin. While there are others who might claim to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, yet good works are completely absent from their lives. Their lives look just like we might expect someone who does not believe in Jesus Christ. Those are two very different ways of handling good works. And I would say neither comes even close to how the Bible handles good works. So what place do good works have in our lives? Why should we do them? What's the point of good works? As Pastor Dave said, our text uh, specifically comes from Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. But this morning, as we prepare to partake in communion, we're going to focus on just one verse, verse 14. Titus 2, 14 is going to be our passage. And we're going to see that we are to do good works because of Christ's work. So our theme for Titus 2, verse 14 is we are to do good works because of Jesus's work. We are to do good works because of Jesus's work. Now our text comes in the middle of the book of Titus, and I chose this specifically for two reasons. The first is the fact that we are preparing to observe communion this morning, and this text is very fitting since it it deals with Jesus' work on the cross, but I also have chosen this text from Titus because I intend to work through the book of Titus as I get the opportunity to preach. So this is the first of possibly many uh, sermons on the book of Titus. The book of Titus is a book in which we could label it with the phrase, do good works. Good works is a major theme that can be traced all throughout as this phrase, good works, is repeated over and over again in the book of Titus. So just to highlight a few for you. So um, we're going to be in the book of Titus this morning. So as Pastor Dave did, I would invite you to stay there as we work our way, work our way through this text. But I want to just show you a few times in Titus, in the book of Titus, where we see this phrase, good works, repeated. So the first is Titus 2, verse 7. If you look with me there, it says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Then Titus 3 verse 8 says, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And then lastly, Titus 3.14 says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. So as I've already said, our text of Titus 2.14 comes from the larger passage or the context of Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, as Pastor Dave just read for us. And if you look with me there at the very beginning of that passage in verse 11, it begins with that word, for. For. It says, Titus, in Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So we could substitute the word, um, instead of for, we could use the word because, or we could add on to it, for this reason. And this should cause us to look backwards. So if we're reading through the book of Titus and we come to this word for, or because, we want to see what 
uh, Paul, in the book of Titus, was talking about beforehand. And we find that the immediate context of chapter 2 of the letter of Titus is that Paul has given Titus instructions. So if you just scan over Titus 2, verses 1 through 10, you're going to see several things. You're going to see that Paul addresses uh, or has Titus address all different age groups and calls them or tells them what they should do. Even further, Paul speaks to what Titus should do in this passage of Titus 2, 1 through 10, and he tells Titus what he should do. And then he speaks to slaves and what they should do. So in our passage or in the passage before our text, we see that Paul is calling this church, he's calling Titus to do good works. So as we come to Titus 2, 11 through 14, the passage we find our verse within, we see that Paul is saying, this is why you should do these things. This is the reason that you should do good works. This is the foundation for your good works. I said in the beginning that some think the reason is to earn their salvation. We certainly do not see that in this passage, and I would strongly say that we don't see that in any other passage of Scripture, that good works somehow earn salvation. In Titus 2, 11 through 13, right before our verse, we find Paul lays out the foundation of God's work in the past, the present, and the future, and how that should stir us up to good works. As we see in verse 11, we see our good works rest upon the coming of God to this earth. If you look with me at Titus 2.11, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Then we see our good works come from the inner transformation that God works in our lives in the present. As Titus 2.12 says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And then finally, right before our verse, the immediate context to verse 14, we see that our good works are to be done till the second coming of Jesus. As Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the larger theme of our passage, or the larger theme that we find verse 14 found within, is that God's work is the foundation for our good works. That's why we find then in verse 14 the specific discussion of Christ's work on the cross and it being the foundation for our good works. We see that Paul loops back around to verse 11, which, if you remember, spoke about the fact that the Son of God came to this earth. And now he adds more on to this initial work of God and describes how Jesus' work on the cross brings about and motivates those who are saved to do good works. So as we consider verse 14 this morning, and as I already mentioned, our theme for this verse is we are to do good works because of Jesus's work. So we'll break down this just one verse into three sections, and we'll, or we, uh, we'll break it down into three questions. We'll look first at what work did Jesus do? Secondly, what did Jesus's work accomplish? And then thirdly, we're going to look at what should Jesus' work cause in us? So we'll look at his work, what it accomplished, and what it should cause in us. So first, what work did Jesus do? If you look with me at Titus 2.14, it says, Who gave himself for us. So again, as we consider 
the context of our passage, if we look back at verse 13, we see that specifically when it says, who gave himself, that himself is referring to Jesus Christ. As verse 13 said, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's who's specifically being talked about here in our verse, in verse 14, Jesus Christ. So what work does it say, or what work does this verse say that Jesus actually did? We'll look at it in two different ways as this verse provides. We'll look first at the fact that Jesus willingly died on the cross, and then second, he sacrificially died on the cross. So first, Jesus willingly died on the cross. Look back with me at Titus 2, verse 14. The first three words, it says, Who gave himself? Who gave himself? This verse shows Jesus is in control. This shows Jesus dying voluntarily. He gave up his life. He wasn't forced. He wasn't bribed. He chose to willingly die. And if you start to think about the stories in the gospel, you might start to think, no, it was the Pharisees. The Pharisees were in control. They got Judas to betray him, and then they lied about him when he was on trial, and they mocked him, and ultimately were the ones that put him to death. Jesus didn't choose to die, but the Pharisees chose for him. You might start to think that as you think over the story. But what we see from this verse, and we actually see many verses, many passages that teach us this, is that it was ultimately Jesus allowing the Pharisees, the Jews, to do these things. We see this again from the stories in the gospel. We'll look briefly just at three uh, different ways in which we see Jesus was in complete control over his death, and he died willingly. So you don't have to turn to these passages with me, but we'll just briefly look at how we see in the Gospels that it wasn't the Pharisees in control, but it was ultimately Jesus willingly giving up his life. We see in Matthew 16, verse 21, that it shows us how Jesus knew of his death and how it would take place as it says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So the fact that Jesus, before he ever died, months, weeks before, Jesus knew that this was going to take place and he even told his disciples how it was going to go down. So that first shows us that Jesus was in control. He willingly gave of his life. Secondly, we see Jesus being in control of his death as he had the power and the ability to escape his arrest, but chose not to. If you just listen as I read John 18, 1 through 6, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook, Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And then verse 6 says this, 
When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. These are the guys who are coming to arrest Jesus. And you would think they'd be reaching out forward to arrest him. And instead, when he says, I am he, or really it can be translated, I am, they fall back and fall on the ground, showing Jesus' power over them, showing if they are going to arrest him, it's only going to be because Jesus has allowed them to do so. The third piece of evidence from the Gospels that shows Jesus willingly went to the cross and died is from what he said on the cross. John 19.30 says, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then Luke 23.46 says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So we see from the Gospels very clearly that at first it might seem like Jesus had no power over his death. People were putting him to death. People were arresting him. But we ultimately see that Jesus was allowing them to do this. He willingly went to the cross. And you might wonder, what's it matter? What's it matter that Titus 2 verse 14 says, who gave himself? He willingly gave himself to die. What does it matter if Jesus gave up his life or that it was taken from him? And we, we might answer, how could it have achieved what it did if this was some random act or some expected thing done to Jesus? The fact that he knew about it, but not only knew, but was in control of it, showed that it could bring about its intended purposes. So what did Jesus do? He gave up his life. It was not taken from him. He was fully in control of his death. He gave it up willingly and voluntarily. Next, we see the second way Paul describes the death of Jesus as we consider Jesus' work in our first point of three. So second, Jesus sacrificially died on the cross. If you look back with me at Titus 2.14, it says, Who gave himself for us who gave himself for us. Two words that mean a lot. For us. Meaning that Jesus took our place. He sacrificed his life for our lives. He laid down his life so we wouldn't have to. And I think as we think about this, the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us, this can be something that just begins to just roll right over us. It's something that doesn't really impact us too much because we've we've heard it many times that jesus died in our place he took our place but if we really think about this this is someone dying for us this week i was reading a fiction book in which a boy's older brother took his place and was executed secretly instead of him this older brother gave his life for his younger brother and as i read that my heart started racing. It certainly worked up some emotions. And when we think about it, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He died for us. As we think about this statement for us, we might ask, who is being spoken about when Paul says us? Well, Paul is talking to Titus. So he's referring to himself and Titus. And we can see really he's talking about all believers. Jesus took our place on the cross 
Jesus died so that we didn't need to. As Paul had already said back in verse 11, he said, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. He saved us from our sins. He saved us from a life that was far from God. He saved us from punish the punishment that we deserved, death. So he died on the cross so we wouldn't have to. That is what Jesus did then. As we consider the specific work of God and its relation to our works, Jesus willingly died and sacrificially died. That is the work done by Jesus. Now we see what effects that has on us, and specifically concerning our good works. So our second question, or our second section of three, is what did Jesus' work accomplish? What did Jesus' work accomplish? Look with me at Titus 2.14. It says, who gave himself for us, and then it says this, to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So in that statement that I just read, two things are mentioned here that are accomplished. First, that we are set free from the enslavement to sin. As it says in Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. This phrase, to redeem, speaks of being set free from enslavement. Just as the Israelites, as we think about the Old Testament story in the book of Exodus, just as the Israelites were set free from the Egyptians and their slavery by Moses as God worked through him, so too we are being set free. The word here that is used, lawlessness, it's a tough word. It simply means, or it speaks of their sin. They're living a life that is contrary to God and his law or his word. So this lawlessness is speaking of them living in an opposite way or against God and his law. Paul is saying here in this phrase that Christ's work on the cross brought about a freedom from living in those sinful ways. Jesus' death accomplished our being set free from this lifestyle so that we no longer will live in sin as we once did. Later in the book of Titus, we see Paul describes what this sinful lifestyle looked like. If you look down with me at Titus 3.3, we see what this lawlessness looks like as it says in Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So that's what Jesus freed us from that lifestyle of living in sin. So we have been freed from this lifestyle opposite, or that is opposite to the life that is filled with good works that the book of Titus promotes. That's the first thing mentioned here that Christ accomplished by dying. The second thing accomplished is that we are made clean so that we might do good works. If you look with me at Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So not only does Christ's work take away the power of sin in our life, but it allows us or it brings about within us the ability to do these good works. He cleanses us or he our lives are changed, our hearts are transformed so that we can live a life apart from sin, a life in accordance with God's commands. 
a life of good works. Further, Paul speaks of those who are redeemed and purified becoming God's people. Again, as Titus 2.14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. So this speaks of a unique people, a people that have a relationship with God and seek to live for God with their lives. I believe an Old Testament passage is in view here as Paul writes these verses, and you don't have to turn there, but Ezekiel 37, 23 says something very similar. It says, They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. So the second accomplishment to Jesus' work is that we haven't only been rescued from the bondage to sin in our life, but also have the ability to live differently, to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. Which leads us to our third and final section. What should Jesus' work cause in us? What should Jesus' work cause? cause in us. We've looked at Jesus' work, his dying on the cross willingly and sacrificially. We've looked at what it's accomplished, rescuing us from this life of bondage to sin and allowing us or bringing about within us this life to do good works. Now we have to ask, what should Jesus' work cause in us? Look with me at Titus 2.14 who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. When we consider our response to the work of Jesus Christ, and and especially these mornings uh, that we celebrate um, or observe communion, oftentimes we think about what should our response be? And some of the responses that might come easily to your mind is one of thankfulness, that we should be thankful for what Christ has done. Another one might just be comfort, that you can walk away knowing that you have a right relationship with God. You might walk away with a response of praise for what God has done, worshiping him for the sacrifice that he has. But I might ask us this morning, does the response of doing good works rate right up there in your minds? When you think of our response to the cross of Jesus Christ, would you think of that we should go out and do these good works? Well, we see that Paul Paul certainly seems to think so here. As he's talking about, or he's saying, for those for whom Christ has died, those who are saved from this life of lawlessness are to be zealous for good works. Zealous. When you read that word, you might... Not really be sure what it means, but zealous speaks of, very simply, being enthusiastic. I think many of us here would know this word, enthusiastic. Or another way of saying it is being eager, or being committed to doing good work. So zealous speaks of being enthusiastic, eager, or committed to doing good works. I might ask us this morning, would you say that you... how? Would you say that's how you view good works? Are you enthusiastic when it comes to doing good works? I would say, at least for I, I know for myself at times, 
can be much more enthusiastic when it comes to our favorite football team or when it comes to playing board games or having people over at our house or much more enthusiastic when it comes to our favorite TV series or we get enthusiastic uh, when we hear of a product we've been waiting for is finally going to be released. But are we enthusiastic when it comes to doing good works? When we consider how often our minds think about how we can be doing good works, it shows us a lot about our enthusiasm to do them. When we consider how often we pray to God to reveal to us things we have not been doing that we have been called to do in his word, that shows us how eager we are to do these good works. When we think about how often we read our Bibles just trying to get through it, maybe zoning out, or not putting into practice the things that we learn from it, this shows us how committed we are to doing good works. So I would challenge us this morning, let this word stick. Zealous. Being zealous for good works. Being enthusiastic when it comes to strategizing how you can develop these good works in your life. Being eager to grow more and more in showing these good works. Being committed to to good works day in and day out, having it on your mind. Maybe writing a piece of, on a piece of paper something that you want to do, thinking about a verse in particular, particular that you came across in your Bible reading that you were challenged to do these good works. Be zealous to do good works because of the work of Jesus. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, okay, okay, I get it. Be zealous for good works, but I don't even know what you mean by good works. It's such a general term. Well, let us, or I'll, I'll share with you this morning that this phrase, good works, is a loaded phrase. And I've already hinted at how you find what these good works are, as the book of Titus has this as its theme, to do good works. So we'd expect there to be a list in the book of Titus. Look back with me at our immediate context of, as I've already shared, at Titus chapter 2, verse 1. Titus 2, verse 1, and we see these good works. It says this, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And if we stop there, you get the point that in the book of Titus, in many of the books of the Bible, we find these good works. Paul is listing them and making them clear of how do you live this out? What are these good works? Here they are. Even if we skip down to Titus 3, verses 1 through 2, we see it also gives us these good works. It says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So these good works are all over the Bible. It's a phrase that is synonymous with godliness, 
living lives that are pleasing to the Lord. It's synonymous with obeying God's commandments, doing what the Bible says, the fruit of the Spirit. Good works are those things that we find God commanding us to do in the Bible so that we might please Him. Let me repeat that. Good works are those things that we find God commanding us to do in the Bible so that we might please Him. So as our verse says, our reaction or our response to God's work, and more specifically for verse 14, in our purposes this morning, as we partake in communion, we are to respond to the work of God in dying on the cross for us by being zealous or enthusiastic to do good works. So as we partake in communion this morning and reflect upon the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I would encourage you, while we do this, to sit here and think about how have I been doing in being zealous or enthusiastic to do good works. Maybe you'll sit here this morning and, and really realize you've been living for yourself, doing what you want to do, living your life how you want to, to rather than how God wants you to. Maybe you'll sit here and realize your life looks a whole more like the world in an unbeliever's life, rather than what God calls us to, zealous for good works. Maybe you'll sit here and pray to God for blind spots that you thought that you've been doing these things, but you really haven't been. Maybe you'll sit here scanning over the book of Titus and thinking practically and specifically about how can I do these things in my life. So from this verse, we are to walk away being challenged and being enthusiastic to do good works in light of the work Christ has done. Something important that I want to stress as we close is the fact that we see in the book of Titus that it's very clear that we are to do these good works because of Christ's work. That they are, these good works are a result. They're an outcome. They're a response to his work. It is in no way, shape, or form something to earn or add on to Christ's work for our salvation. If you look with me at Titus 3, verses 8, 4 through 8, I love how clear the book of Titus puts this. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So the book of Titus is advocating for these good works, and now he tells us they don't do anything uh, to earn our salvation. But he goes on and says, But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Verse 8 says, The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So our good works don't save us. They don't keep us acceptable with God. But we are definitely supposed to do them and not neglect them. So they are to be a response to God's work, specifically his work on the cross for our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
As we considered Titus 2, verse 14 this morning, let us be zealous for good works because of the good work Christ has done for us. Let us pray together. Lord, we just thank you from this challenge from the book of Titus. And Lord, we just thank you for how clear it is within the scriptures, within this specific book, that our works do absolutely nothing to bring about our salvation. Even I think of a couple weeks ago as Pastor preached on Philippians in the evening series and, and just how Paul gave his testimony of how he once did seek to do these works to earn his salvation and how he realized that they do absolutely nothing to save us. And Lord, as we saw this morning, it's ultimately only by your work, by Christ's work on the cross that brings about our salvation. And Lord, as we celebrate this this morning, as we observe it, as we partake communion, Lord, I just pray that we'd have a greater understanding, a greater appreciation for the work that you have done. But Lord, I also pray that as we think about these good works, that they would be a response, that it would be our reaction to considering these things to be zealous or enthusiastic for good works. And Lord, as uh, we realize that it's ultimately only by your doing that we can do these things, we realize it's only by your power, your strength, and not by our own doing that we can do these good works. Lord, help us to search the scriptures. Help us to read our Bibles day in and day out, looking for how we can be challenged to have these good works in our lives. Lord, help us now as we partake of communion, uh, prepare our hearts, and Lord, we just pray that you would use it uh, to ultimately challenge us in our lives to live a life that is more pleasing and honoring to you. And in your name I pray, amen. So in just a moment, we are going to uh, be taking communion, and we would ask this morning that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you would refrain from taking communion, as the Bible calls only those who have placed their faith uh, to do so. But certainly, if you would like to this morning, to place your faith in Jesus Christ and trust him for your salvation and nothing else, you certainly can do so at this very moment. As we partake of communion this morning, I ask that you take the elements that hopefully you have with you and peel back the first layer that is the clear plastic as we take the wafer that symbolizes Christ's body. In the passage that was read for us today, Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And even as we celebrate communion we recognize that it's that salvation that is given to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and it is that return of Christ that we look forward to, as it says in verse 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us. It says that this body was given for us, and so that we could be redeemed from lawlessness. So in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, rather, we see, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you as one body, 
even as we partake of communion together, whether we're gathered in this room in Fellowship Hall at home watching this morning, we are one body. And you have come to redeem us, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, not only just to be saved from our sins, but so that we might renounce lawlessness and devote ourselves to be zealous for good works, as Pastor Cruz preached this morning. As we partake, Lord, may we renew that commitment once again through your Son and his work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Take and eat. Go ahead and pull back the second layer of your cup. You hold in your hand the symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just read a passage, um, very similar text in the scriptures uh, that gives a very similar point that we found in Titus. I'd like to read Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Very familiar, uh, one of the Embark passages, at least verse 8 through 9, and I'll tack on verse 10. So we see a very similar point that we found uh, in the book of Titus. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by, the, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we're challenged this morning to think about our good works and specifically the fact that they have nothing to do with our salvation. They don't bring about our salvation. It's only by trusting in God's work, in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But our response is to be to have these good works. Let us pray together. Lord, we just thank you for uh, your sacrifice, your death on the cross for us. Lord, it's amazing that you were willing to take our place, to die a death that was um, very painful, a death that was uh, insulting to you. And Lord, uh, we thank you for your willingness to do so and, and for it being sacrificial for us. And Lord, as we're challenged this morning um, from your word, we pray that our response as we go out these doors today, as we go into our weeks, as we go to our workplaces, to school, if it be at home, or wherever we are, we pray that we be thinking about how we could put these things into practice in our lives, that we learn from your word, that we've been challenged this morning. Lord, help us to be people that do good works. And in your name I pray, amen. Take and drink. <clears throat> 